Andrew, Alyssa, and Lutz, uh, welcome to the the Passion for Sound YouTube channel and podcast. Probably, I think it's going to go to both places. We'll we'll publish it at both. Now, Andrew, you and I were just talking offline. You and I have met via emails back and forth many, many times. Yeah. But do you want to introduce to me the other two people that are that are or two creatures? No, the, the, the entire <laughs> the team. We have Alyssa and our CEO Lutz, and we Lutz uh, and have some stuff about them on our website on the About Us page, and you know that's. Um, all very entertaining if someone's so inclined to go look at that. Um, but he's, yep. our, he's our president and CEO, you know, um, thought it was appropriate to introduce him here. Absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't, um, couldn't leave out the most important member of the team, could we? <laughs> That's for sure. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and before we jump into some of the kind of technical stuff that we want to talk about today in terms of the, the op amps and the design of the Gemini and all that sort of stuff, how long Sparko has been going and, and how did it all begin? Ah, <clears throat> oh, gosh, this is probably like our 10th year. You know, I, I've, I'd always wanted an audio company. Before Sparkos, I kind of designed this big power amp, you know, as like a first product. But, you know, it's done. I'm sitting there looking at it. It's like, oh, man, this thing huge. It's going to be expensive. It's going to cost a lot of money to ship it anywhere. I was like, ah, you know, it's probably not a good thing to, like, start as a, a company with as a first product, you know. Mm. But um, it occurred to me, like, you know, Power amps are basically just really scaled down, or, or rather op amps are just a power amp way scaled down and vice versa. Power amps can be thought of as an op amp scaled way up. So I kind of looked around, I was like, well, yeah, these are discrete op amps are kind of a thing in audio. You know, there was less people doing it 10 years ago than there are mm. now. But, you know, I, I was like, well, man, these I can build one of these, you know, a lot cheaper than I can build a giant power amp. But, you know, at the time I could send them anywhere in the world for about $6 yeah. you know, postage. Um, so I was like, well, let me, you know, come up with the design and try them out and put them on eBay and make a website and, and see what happens, you nice. know? And so I did all that and people started buying them and getting good reviews and feedback on them. And then I was like, well, I could probably do a voltage regulator too, you know, like, so I did that product year or two later and then we did our big pro op amps. And then I was like, man, we got enough stuff now. Like I could probably start making my own gear, you know, that uses our stuff inside. So that's, you know, we come out with the Aries probably four ish years ago, three, four years ago. And, mm -hmm. and now more they're like more like five, maybe. Yeah. It's going back no, a while now. That think about it. Mm. I was working on it five years ago. Um, I don't know that it seemed like it got released in 2019 maybe. So like yeah, that could be about right. I, I'd have to go back and look at when I reviewed it because I think I reviewed it not that long after it came out. Yeah, I remember because we uh, we unveiled it at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest, which is in October, and it was mm -hmm. the last Rocky Mountain Audio Fest before COVID. So oh, there COVID you go. Was 2020. Yeah. This had to have been Rocky Mountain Audio Fest 2019. 2019. Okay. So, um, yeah, and we're uh, that was the last show we did. We're going to do the uh, Florida Audio Show this year and exhibit mm -hmm. at it. Um, so we're trying to get back into doing shows and exhibiting and things like that. And I just, the other day finalized all the stuff with the head of the show to get us in and brilliant. Um, yeah. So people can come and, and try it out, check it all out for themselves at, at next Rocky mountain. Well, it's the Florida audio show. Oh, the, Rocky sorry, the Florida, you said you did yeah, say that. Rocky mountain audio Fest doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately. Oh really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. COVID kind of killed it and that's really unfortunate. I'm, I hope someone will pick it back up or maybe Marjorie that used to put on. We'll pick mm. it up again, but they tried to do it in 2020, canceled. They tried to do it again in 2021, canceled again. And she was just like, ah, I'm done. <laughs> it was, know, I mean, so. it was a tough time for shows, wasn't oh, it, going yeah. through all the COVID stuff. So all the uncertainty oh. and extra challenges of putting stuff on with the, 
the hygiene and social distancing and it, it was a bit of a nightmare for a lot of those show operators. So hopefully right. it comes back because I know how much people enjoy being able to, to get in there and try the gear and meet the people and, and all that sort of stuff. So cross fingers. Yeah, yeah we're, we're really excited about it. It'll be our first time that we have our own room. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. No, we're not, not exhibiting with someone else, so we're pretty yep. excited. Yeah. And so you've got, just to make sure I'm I'm not missing anything, you've now got the the three different types of kind of chips, if you like. You've got your, your power um, controller, your the regular op amps, the pro op amps. You've got mm-hmm. the Sparkos Labs Aries headphone amplifier preamp and then also the Gemini, the Gemini I should say, um, headphone amp and preamp. Is, is that everything? Am I missing anything? Uh, yeah, we, we, we have uh, like a c- couple other obscure products that are targeted to really specific things that we don't necessarily sell out. We have a little upgrade kit for like vintage Moran, some Samsung oh, right. yep. receivers, right? The BA312 module, it's called. Mm-hmm. You know, we, our power supplies, voltage regulators, op amps, Aries and Gemini. That's pretty much the entirety of our products. Great. Yeah. Which is a wonderful setup for anyone that's into headphones in particular. Um, there's a wonderful range of stuff you can do there, whether it's rolling op amps in a different amp, whether it's playing with your Aries and or Gemini amps. There's, there's lots of versatility there. That's exciting. And obviously you've right. got the collaboration with um, uh, Giselli Labs these days where they're just made for your op amps to be rolled through easily if people want to play around with that um, as well. So there's lots of lots of possibilities there for people to come and check yeah, out what yeah. you've got. That's great. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, when yeah. is the, the Florida audio show for people that are interested? Uh, Mid-February, I want to say it's around the 18th or... It's the 16th. 16th through 18th. 16th? It's like Friday, Saturday, yep. Sunday. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I'll see if, if I can track down a link. I'll, I'll pop a link in the description for... I don't know if I can do it for the podcast so much, but definitely if this goes on the YouTube channel, I'll pop a link in the description if people want to find out more and and work out where to come and actually see you, meet you, and, and play with the gear. That's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And Alyssa, what's your role in in the company? How did you get roped into all this electronics madness? Uh, you know, it was he needed help, and it was right timing for for all that. So just came on full time and been doing that for I guess five. Five years, about five years. About the same time as the Aries was coming into into fruition. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, maybe a little before. Little, that. Before, a little that, before that, yeah. That, like, he's just like, I really need some help, and it was right timing for me. And yeah, here I mean, we are. We're, we're we're together. I don't know if that's known. I kind yeah. of I kind of wanted to present it like like the X Files, and we're Scully and Mulder. If you're familiar <laughs> with that show? Yep. Yeah, and it's like everyone watching is like, "Well, are they together? Well, well, they should be, but they're not." I'm like, "Well, just kiss her already," you know? Like, so I didn't want to come right out and be like, "Yeah, oh, we're destroyed you're, all the tension for you." We're sorry. married and all that. You brought my old lady on, you know. You know, so <laughs> this I made want, more sense. I want to create more of a sense of mystery and allure. Yeah, uh, right. no, I've just killed it for you. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think. So, that, you, sorry, you go, Alyssa. Yeah, we do everything like out of our home and. So we're here all the time together and having fun. Ain't sick of each other yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good sign. Very good sign. We check Surprise. in with each other like, mm, are you sick of me yet? Like we sit around <laughs> and stare at each other all day. Like, no, nah, mm-hmm. yeah, we're for good. Us. We're good right now. So That's good. You know. That's good. I think, And I think it's actually a really nice thing because I know people really enjoy it and I certainly really enjoy other other partnerships in the in the hobby like Gino and, and Sherry that we mentioned before from Chichelli Labs. It's kind of nice to see people families getting involved in the hobby and and 
putting out their own products and stuff. I'm not suggesting everyone should rush out and do it, but but I think for those of you that have the ability to do it, um, I think it's it's fantastic. It brings a bit of bit of personality and and kind of heart to the to the product. I think is really lovely. So I think it, it adds something yeah, more so yeah. than, than anything else. I, and I so with that in mind, let's. Not, it's not always easy, but you know, I'll bet. you know, <laughs> the reward is definitely is there. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. So I reckon let's let's jump in and start talking about some of the specifics of the products that that we want to talk about. And there's a, there's a bit to go through because I've I've now reviewed the Aries, your individual op amps, and the Gemini, and mm-hmm. we've never actually chatted about any of them before, other than you know emails that I've then used right, within the reviews. Right. So I think let's maybe start with the Gemini because it's the most recent <laughs> review, and I've got some viewers have asked questions that they wanted to know more about. Um, but then for those people that are watching or listening along, we do also want to talk about the, the op amps, some general technical stuff around amplification, um, and then also yeah. the, the collaboration with Giselli at, at the end. We might touch on that as well. So let's kick off the Gemini. For those that are able to see, this is the Gemini here. For those that are listening to this on the podcast, you can check out the review on YouTube of the, the Gemini. So this is a hybrid solid state and tube amp combo headphone amp and preamp um and i've got a few questions to go through in in no particular order but the first question i I guess i had based on what i read on your website and then playing around with it did you tune the gemini specifically for the 6922 tube or did it just happen that that was the one that ended up really working well with it obviously it works beautifully with 12au7 6n1ps 6DJ8s, et cetera, but the 6922 seemed to be a really nice sweet spot. Was that deliberate or just the way it worked out? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of targeted the 6922 as the tube I wanted to use. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you talk about tuning it, really the, the only thing a guy has control over is kind of how much bias current you run and how what you put the plate voltage at. You know, those are kind of the two parameters you have to play with. So they're pretty much optimized for that. But, but I also found like in the, in the family of tubes, like they all kind of want the same thing, at least bias wise and voltage wise, you know, they all have very similar noise characteristics. I kind of designed and optimized for 6922 and then kind of went back and made sure the other tube types would, would be suitable with given how I'd biased it and, and how we're running the tube and so forth. But um, yeah, it was a, I guess you could say it probably was tuned for the yep. 6922 specifically, although I would say that there wouldn't be a whole lot of things I would do different necessarily if I was tuning it for something else. For different, okay. You know. Yeah, that's interesting to know. And speaking of, of the bias and the voltage and everything, um, one of the things I was really curious about was you've got the jumper switch in there where you can change the amount of bias that's going to the tube. Right. Can you explain a bit and, and probably you know dumbing it down into layman's terms as best you can, what what's the bias doing in the tube and how does changing that give you us more or less of the tube sound? Okay. So um, like when I, in, in the manual, I kind of touched on these things. It's like, you know, how much of a given tube sonic signature will be imparted into the sound kind of depends on how hard the tube is being asked to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, mm-hmm. what that really means is how much current the tube is swinging. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, obviously you turn up the volume, you're going to run the tube harder. It's going to impart more of its sound. Um, but what the bias jumper does is it kind of defines for the tube, what work even means. Say for example, you bias at four milliamps and you're swinging back and forth too, you know, up one, down one sort of thing. Um, you can think of that as like, it's doing 50% work. 
right? Mm-hmm. When you increase the bias and you still swing this, you know, say you double it to eight and now you're still swinging two. Now it's only working 25%, we'll say, uh-huh. so to the two. But, and so that's what the bias does is kind of defining what work means and what work as far as the tube is concerned is. So that's, that's kind of the idea behind that. And that's also why I like it doesn't change the gain or perceived loudness when you're playing with that tube jumper or the mm. bias current jumper rather. But yet it, it will impart more or less of the tube sonic signature based on whether the tube's working harder or not so much. Okay. And so is that then just making sure I'm putting this together right is that why the high bias setting gives us less tube character? Because exactly. it's going to that wider range and therefore the swing is smaller within that range. Is that Am I understanding that right? Totally. Yeah, cool. that's totally cool. how, how it's a little counterintuitive or yeah. backwards maybe that higher bias is less tube. Mm. But um, yeah, that's 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 what you just described is exactly what's going on. Cool. Okay, no, that really helps me understand it and hopefully others listening and watching this as well. The and when it comes to the, the tube character coming through, is that because the there's more of the distortion characteristics of the tube coming through? Is that really what's going on as it works harder? We get more of the the distortion characteristics? Yeah, you know, it's it's the harmonic content that the, mm-hmm. the tubes I mean, you can call it distortion, like distortion yeah, tends the to wrong have term. negative connotations mm. associated with it. You know, um it, it, you know, and some distortion's pleasing to the ear, right? I mean, it's whether it's even order distortion or odd order. Right. Like solid state things are more known for odd order that's displeasing to the ear. It's, they don't occur naturally in nature. Even order, on the other hand, is considered to be pleasing to the ear. That's the characteristics mm. that tube has is the even order harmonic. They, they tend to occur naturally in nature as well. You know, yep. Echoes off the walls, things that make up a total acoustical environment, I guess. Even order harmonics are prevalent in, in those things so yeah but yeah it you know the, the 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 more the harder you drive the tube based on you know how much where the volume's at or what gain you have or bias setting you know will impart more or less of the harmonics from the tube and that's Fantastic. that's basically what's defining its sound signature and sound character brilliant now that that really helps because it was something I, I noticed a lot as i went through i did that sort of separate tube rolling video and it was really interesting that some tubes, I really preferred their their high bias approach, others the low bias. It was it was different from one tube to the next, how much of that sound I, I wanted in there. And maybe even not even just sort of from one type of tube to the next. So like on on one or two or three different pairs, for instance, of say six N1s, one pair I might have liked it in high bias, another pair in low bias because each of those tubes was different within that model number as well. So the the need to, to tweak it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I found that too. Like you know, when you when you get into different manufacturers of the same tube, like they, they don't all quite behave and bias at the same points and mm. sound the same. You know, even even like the you know, I, I've gone through several of the electroharmonics tubes now. You know, and even, even those like they're they're you know, I'm I'm, I'm more of a solid state transistor type guy and the specifications and of those are much more tightly controlled than tubes you know um once in a while i'll reject a tube you know okay. right out of the box for uh either the the two tubes don't match well in gain you know or some of them have kind of noise or microphonic issues yeah you know m- making vacuum tubes is kind of rapidly becoming a lost art you know there's only a couple of places in the world that still make brand new tubes what those guys used to do 
you know, back in the heyday of the vacuum tube and maybe the 30 or 40s, like a lot of that knowledge, I feel like has been lost. Maybe that's why the, that the NOS, NOS tubes and the new old stock tubes are quite popular, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say that would, that would make sense as to why so often it's hard to find a, a new production tube that can match some of the old, you know, often we think that everything newer is better because of newer technologies, but it's interesting to hear you say that about the, the lost art in some ways. Yeah. 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 It, eh, as a general rule that holds, but um, yeah, not, a, not in every instance, I don't think. So, mm. yeah. No, that's really interesting. Yeah. Actually, while we're on that topic, do, did you come across any specific tube brands or models that you felt were particularly strong? Obviously you've chosen the electroharmonics 6922, yeah, you know, but were there what, others that um, stood out? Right. So that, you know, the electroharmonics is a great tube and, and the things I liked about it or that it was always readily available. <laughs> you know, I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about running out or not being able to get it, which when you're doing manufacturing and production, that's important, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. J&J make really good tubes. You mm-hmm. know, I like those. I like the Telefunken 6922. I believe I got that from uh, Tube Depot. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. went out and b- bought several new old stock tubes to kind of try them out and play around, see what they were like. A, a tube I like that's kind of obscure is a thing called the 12BH7. I've heard of those. I don't think I've tried one though. Yeah, they're they're a little bit longer, like length of the glass mm-hmm. envelope. They were popular in kind of like older Macintosh amps and some of those things. Kind of they're back in the day too. It's it's not typically in the conversation when guys are talking about twelve AX seven or twelve AU or sixty nine twenty two. You know, it's a little more obscure, but um, that's one I I, I kind of like. Just it's a little unique. It, it's a uh, harmonic content is almost entirely second order. You know, mm-hmm. There's very little third order in it. That's an interesting one to me that I like. So yeah, okay. I can say it, you know, as far as tubes, I like the least in the Gemini, I'd have to go 12 AX7. Okay. My least. No, 12 AU, 12 AT, 12 AY. Those are all great. It's a 12 AX specifically probably wants a little bit higher plate voltage than I'm running it at in there. Okay. It yep. to have too strong of a, to be sound characteristic to where it's okay. kind of bloomy and a bit too um, thick and yeah. Now some guys may like that. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to tell anybody they shouldn't try a 12 AX seven in that, in the Gemini, but um, my own personal preferences anyway, that was, you know, probably the one I like the least, I guess. Oh, it's good to know. Give, give people a bit of a uh, bit of hunting to go and do. They can try yeah, some of those yeah. out for themselves and, and see what they like. And I think totally. that for me was one of the fun things about the Gemini was, the ability to roll through so many different tubes and then as I, as I talked about in the tube rolling video to then be able to tweak it accordingly i think it's really really cool that we've got that that opportunity so that's a lot of fun oh i was gonna say that's that's kind of something that i, I realized about like our aries headphone amp you know it's like there ain't really much to play with on the inside i think we're well way more known for like our discrete op amps and like our, our core customers i guess you could say like they're guys that like to play with stuff on the inside you know absolutely and so i was like man i should do a product that caters specifically to that that's that's you know how the, a lot of those things came to be and why i put those features into there and, and i'm yeah. the same way you know like in a lot of ways i feel like I'm my own perfect customer, or like my, my demographic or, you know, the things I'm into would be what other, our customers are into and things I would want to see would be what they would want to see in a, mm-hmm. in a design. Yep. And so, um, that's how a lot of those things came to be. Yeah. And I think that, that makes, I think at least makes for better product is that if you, if you believe in and, and care about the stuff you're doing, I think it's going to show at the other end and the people that are like you therefore are going to resonate with it and really enjoy it. And that's yeah. certainly what I see in the comments and the discussions 
that's the thing that people that are into your, like you said, particularly your op amps, they are the people that want to get in there and tweak and play and kind of be a bit curious about what it, what if I do this and how about if I combine this and this and you know some of the stories I've heard about people doing crazy adapter modifications to fit your op amps oh. into the Shelly Labs DAX and some of those pictures that come in and it was like <laughs> yeah I'm like wow like that that's hardcore dude like <laughs> <laughs> wired extenders you know and the op amps flopping around on the end mm-hmm. of some extender and it's it's uh, that that is amazing to me like the the links that some guys are willing to go through to use our devices and things that maybe weren't really, they don't have the room for it and weren't mm. intended to have something that big. And, and where there's a will, there's a way, man. And that's I, it. I've that's seen it. guys do crazy stuff to be able to make it happen. And yeah. I, I enjoy that, man. The hot, you know, like, man, this guy's got a soldering iron out and everything. That's, that's good stuff. You know? Yeah. Gotten right into it. And on that note, the, one of the things that came up in the conversations about the Gemini uh, and apologies for those that are listening to this as a podcast, but with the Gemini, the the tube for those that are watching it can see that the tube's quite low in the in the case, so you kind of can't easily remove it without taking the lid off. I guess two questions in one here. One of them is: is it would it have been possible? Is there a, a solution to actually have created that with a higher tube socket? And is there a reason you didn't do that? And then part two of that question is: some people have said, is there any issue in using like a tube saver or sorry, socket saver? I should say to raise the the height of the tube to make that easier <clears throat> yeah um yeah a, a tube socket saver is you can totally use that to elevate it up i mean to me that's very similar to like a dip socket riser that guys mm-hmm. use on our op amps to elevate those up for parts that are close by or whatever yeah just be a little careful if you're pulling it out that the, the riser tube riser doesn't come loose as well i've had guys like well why didn't you just make the case like shorter you know and it's like well the height of the transformer inside drove the height of the case that was Mm. the tallest pole in the tent so it's like well it can't be any thinner than than the transformer is high but yeah you can use socket savers or all that i you know tube depot or maybe a parts connect parts connection or um you know some of those so they're probably two bucks yeah like perfect We, we we didn't use them in production that was just probably a cost thing more than anything you know an extra step and an extra thing in there I was going to say, I think it also is a trade-off in the sense that the way it's designed, it, it fits really nicely into a, a smaller space. Like for me, I can put it in the racks that I've got on my desk. If it did have the tube sitting up too high, I wouldn't be able to do that without risking damaging the tube. So it's it's one of yeah. those that's going to work really well for some people as it is. Other people are going to want that tube sitting higher. So you're never going to win on both. But the good news is they can use a socket saver, which is great. Right. Yeah. I wanted to kind of have it poke out just, just for ventilation. I mean, tubes get mm. hot. You know, I didn't want to be dumping all that heat back into the enclosure. So I was like, I want to kind of stick it out somewhat. But yeah, not too tall where you got to worry about something bumping it or, you know, breaking it or bending the pins or whatever. I know a lot of designs yep. have the, the tube fully exposed. So that, that's kind of how all those things how it came to be like it is I guess. yeah no that makes sense makes good sense so we had the question about the the preamp now i didn't get around to testing the preamp properly oh. for my review because i wanted to get the review out so fast you were kind enough to email me and, and tell me that the the preamp output is actually kind of like a, a reduced down version of the output from both the tube and the solid state stage can you talk yeah. us through the reasoning benefits pros cons etc for that decision versus for those that aren't familiar the other option as i understand it would have been to go straight from the tube output to the preamp output and bypass the solid state stage 
Right, right. So yeah, the, the, the preamp outputs are basically just divided down, scaled down versions of what's going to come out the headphone amp. You know, I kind of wanted there to them to be consistent and be the same, but even a better reason, like the, the, the arc, overall architecture of the Gemini, you, you can think of it as two stage, like two front end and then our 2590 op amp being the output stage. But the way it works, you can't really pull out in between the two and just bring that out. You can think of it like a two-stage amp, but it's really all one stage. And what's going on in between the two is a current-based signal. So your RCA out and your, your headphone amp out, those need to be a voltage signal. But the link in between the tube and the 2590 discrete op amp is a current-based link. Okay. okay so so you, it's not really possible to bring that out and, and and bring that to the outside world. And the, and the way it works, like the tube is kind of a voltage to current converter. And then the 2590 Pro Op Amp is like a current back to voltage converter. Okay. And what goes on in between the two is just a, a current-based signal that wouldn't be suitable to bring out to the outside world and pass off yeah, as an RCA. Right. Sort of thing, so. is, that, is that how tubes normally work? Are tubes normally the, the voltage to current conversions or is that just the way you've chosen to set it up? No, no, it is. Um, you know, the, I mean, transistors and all these things are, are very similar. They all take some kind of voltage input and cha- convert, you know, it varies the flow of current through the device. Um, you could then just like use a simple resistor to convert that current flow back to a voltage. You know, that voltage just gets dropped on the resistor. But yeah, most, most devices are, are that way. Like most tube designs, they'll have a resistor up in the plate circuit. You know, and as the current flows, plate current changes, a voltage is developed across that plate resistor. And, you know, now you have a voltage based signal that, you know, mm. they usually capacitively couple it out and go on to the next stage or whatever they're doing with it. But yeah, on the whole, like transistors, yeah, they all um, vary the current through the device, you know, and then based on resistors and things you put about around it, voltage may vary as well. But fundamentally, they're changing the current through the device. Interesting. Okay. The reason I was curious about that is I've been playing with some different products in recent times that are sort of specifying the fact that they're using a a current-based amplification circuit. And so that's where I was curious. I was thinking, oh, so is that actually the same as stuff we've always had, which is tubes? And it sounds like maybe it is, and it's just different different ways of handling it, of course. These things are kind of very difficult to explain. Like just to explain the difference between a current-based signal and a voltage-based signal is kind of off in the weeds a little bit. Mm. But you're right. There are, you know, certain op-amps talk about they're a current feedback op-amp, you mm-hmm. know. And internally, they, they, they work a little different. You know, there's a little bit different principles employed in them. The current feedback op-amps tend to be very high speed, and, and that's what they're – gaining by doing a current based feedback as opposed to a voltage feedback, which most standard op amps, certainly the ones in audio are, you know, voltage based feedback okay. designs. As you said, it starts to get very technical in a hurry <laughs> when we get into, into that area. I yeah. know that I, I sort of start sort of finding I'm trying to piece all the parts together as we talk. And, and yeah, I mean, even, even myself, I mean, it, some of these concepts, it took me years to wrap my head around. Mm. You know, like, mm. I was one of these guys, I got into electronics as a little kid, you know, I was tearing apart TV sets. So, you know, I'm now like 40 something. <laughs> you know, um, so and yeah, some of these things like to really wrap your head around is it, it it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really nice start, though, just to start to understand the. I think the key thing taking away from that for me was the fact that those 
the solid state and the tube stage have to be tightly connected, I think is a really interesting takeaway that, like you say, it's not as simple as saying, oh, we'll just take that signal from there and, and pop it out to the RCA sockets. It's not, it's not actually even possible because it's not the right signal type. Totally. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really good to know. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Andrew. We had some questions pop up about the, the op amps, um, and that's probably coming from the Gishelli Labs conversations with the, the J2S and the, uh, the A3 Pro. One of the things that came up, and you just mentioned sort of current-based feedback, so I'll, I'll pick up on that even though this is probably a little bit different. One of the things I said in my review of the Gemini was that I often prefer a zero-feedback design. So for those not familiar with feedback, the idea of feedback, as I understand it, and feel free to correct me, Andrew, is that essentially you're taking a copy of the signal and feeding it back on itself or inverting it, feeding it back on itself to essentially cancel out noise is, is how I've always understood it. Any distortion that's been added being removed by the feedback. Firstly, is that correct? Well, not noise so much, but, you know, the distortion artifacts or yes. whatever. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the op amp kind of watches its, watches its own output to make sure that it closely resembles a mirror image copy of the input. Of the input, yeah, sort of perfect. Thing. Yeah. You know, so um, they tend to be a distortion reduction technique in electronics. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's got to be implemented carefully. You know, fe- feedback can cause, you know, oscillations, instability, you know, as, as the feedback loop kind of chases its own tail, so, Course, so to yeah. speak. But, but yeah, on the whole, fee- feedback is a good thing. You know, our, our, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself in the, in the no, questions. No, like we, we've gone through the questions a few times, so I feel like I know where this is going. Yeah. But, um, you know, so in the Gemini, there isn't really any feedback. Now, the pro op amp has its own local feedback around it. All op amps require feedback, okay, because they have very high gain and you, you need some way to control that. So, all op amps have feedback, but but the feedback is not the the tube rather is not enclosed in the feedback loop. Like it would it, it is possible I could have took the output from the pro and looped it all the way back around to the tube. But all that would have done would have been to kind of reduce the harmonic content that the tube was putting out. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a harmonic reduction technique, and it's like well if we're putting a tube in there, we kind of want to hear the tube. Want, that's if we it. have yeah. feedback around the tube, it's just going to sound solid state again. You know, mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. you're diminishing the feedback of the t- or the uh, sonic impact of the tube. Yep. So in the Gemini, we opted to not have any global feedback that encompassed the tube. And that's why, and it's kind of a unique case. You know, when you start talking about our op amps and stuff, we take the complete opposite approach. Like, no, we want as much feedback and, and as much loop gain out of this device that we can possibly get. And there's some techniques that we do in the discrete world that the chip guys can't do that enable us to do that. I think that, you know, again, I may be getting ahead of myself. I, I think I saw that question on that. Yeah, no, this is going right where I was I was heading for, which was, A, what's the reason for, for preferring to use feedback, which I think you've just answered. But then B, the, the, the second part of that question that I'm really interested in is I've regularly noticed that the discrete designs, whether it's a fully discrete um, like layout on a circuit board or an op amp style, like a plug-in um, chip, when I say chip, like a discrete circuit like your op amps are, as opposed to an integrated chip, which is a little piece of silicon. What I often find is the silicon-based integrated chips, they almost always produce kind of a flatter sound, less less depth in the sound stage. And I've always mm-hmm. wondered what what's causing that between a, a discrete designed op amp like yours, um, 
the the Burson op amps, the Staccato op amps. There's a few around there that I've tried. Right. I consistently find that the soundstage from those discrete op amps is better than from the integrated chips. Is that right. going to come down to how they're handling that feedback and what you just mentioned about being able to do it a bit differently <laughs> or something else or you don't know? <laughs> What's the? Yeah, yeah, no, There's um, that's a great question. Um, I think I'll, I'll answer it maybe in layman's terms and then we Please. can complicate it up however, <laughs> as much as you feel that your audience and viewers can handle. Um, and me for that matter. Because, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can go way deep in the weeds on this. All right, let's um, see but, where we go. I, you know, I, the, the easiest way to describe it is like, you know, we're, we're, we're different art. We're, we're both artists that use a different medium. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those chip guys, they're doing a two dimensional picture, you know, watercolor on canvas, right? Like a guy like me in the discrete world, I'm more of a three dimensional sculptor. Okay. Okay. So we're both creating art in this case, the op amp. It's just that we use different mediums to do it with, right? Like that's kind of the simple way to describe it. And to, to get a little more technical, you know, first of all, they, they have to cram everything into a itty bitty chip. Mm. right? And one of the things to get high amounts of feedback and all this is, is something called how the op amp is compensated. Okay. And all, all compensation involves a capacitor to perform the compensation. And, and what compensation is, is it, it keeps the thing from oscillating when the feedback loop is closed. And so it doesn't chase its tail. Yeah. Sort of okay. Thing. The capacitors that required for compensation, when you put it in a chip, it always winds up being kind of a crappy capacitor. It'll have what's called a voltage coefficient. So as the, the voltage across that capacitor changes with, with the signal or whatever, the value of capacitance it has will change as well. Okay. Okay. That's what makes it kind of an inferior capacitor. Um, and the capacitors inside chips, you know, almost all of them have that characteristic. Okay. When you get to the discrete world, you know, we can use a capacitor. They're called NP0 or C0G dielectric capacitors. Think of it like a film cap or ceramic cap. This is just a flavor of ceramic. Mm -hmm. Okay. But these NPO and C0G caps do not have a voltage coefficient. Now, the drawback in them is they tend to be physically large, so large that they couldn't be implemented in a chip, mm -hmm. but still small enough, I, you know, we can use them in a discrete op amp design. The other thing is like we use, you know, what's called two pole compensation. So we actually have two capacitors to perform the compensation, whereas the chip guys, they, they can't fit that many capacitors and certainly not as big of capacitors, capacitance wise as, as is needed for that. Yeah, this, this two pole compensation, as far as I know, even in the discrete world, we're the only ones really doing that. You mentioned some like Staccato and some of those guys. I, I don't know if they do or not. I've, I haven't seen their circuits. It should be evident in measurements, like if they've provided like an open loop gain plot or something, someone like me could look at them and tell if they use okay. single pole or two pole or not. You know, some, some of the other reasons the discrete are better than IC, like ICs, you can't really run, run a whole lot of power through them. The transistors can't bias as hard or as deep into class A mode as maybe okay. you'd like. It, it's all thermal reasons. But in a discrete design, things are more spread out. You know, you don't really have those, you know, it's different medium right? Yeah. Like, yep. um, it got different things available to us that like the chip guys got available to them. Now, one of the common things guys will point out to me is like, well, the chip guys can make all their transistors match really well because they're mm -hmm. doing it at the silicon level and all that. We can actually do the same. Like if you look at like our discrete op amps, you'll notice a lot of little, little six pin black things with three pins on each side. 
probably five or six of those little six pin three three little oh uh, yeah they're sort of scattered around the outside edge now that i'm actually yeah, looking at it kind of yep. around the outside edge. Yep. so that is actually two transistors encapsulated into that one little package mm-hmm. so they will match really well they will okay. be thermally coupled to each other really well so we we retain that advantage into the discrete world that is the IC guys have in the IC world about how they can really match transistors and couple them tightly thermally to each other. And you, you really only need a couple transistors to match at a time, like the input pair transistors want to be matched to each other. Current mirror transistors, the two want to be matched that form each half of the mirror. They don't necessarily have to match all transistors to themselves. You know, it's usually just a couple. And that's, that's the idea why we use those particular devices or those particular transistors in our designs, because there's actually two transistors in that package. And so okay. we retain the advantage that the IC guys have with matching and things like that. It's, it's amazing. And we've probably only just scratched the absolute surface here, but the hearing some of the thoughts and the considerations that have to go into a design like this, you know, I think as a layman, you sometimes come in and look at it and go, yeah, it's a bunch of circuits on a board. What's different <laughs> compared to anyone else's bunch of circuits on or, or um, components on a board? The amount of thought that can go into a design. And I know talking to Gino over at Shelly, I remember him talking once about the fact that even where he placed components within the circuit, because there were three or four different ways he could have done it, he said even that changed how it sounded. So there's obviously a lot of time and effort and, and thought that goes into a design like your op amps or your full-sized amps, et cetera, as well, I'm guessing, yeah? Oh, yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, think of just like a piece of wire. You know, everybody just thinks a piece of wire is a piece of wire, but, God, it has resistance. It has inductance. It If there's other wires next to it, it's going to have capacitive coupling to those. So, yeah, just like how you route your wires or traces on a board or something. Mm. Like, you know, those, those, those things can matter greatly. I, I see the yeah. same thing. I mean, I've done board revisions where all I'm doing is moving some traces further apart to reduce the coupling between them. Wow. Know? Or making a trace fatter to give it less resistance or something. And it like makes that. an audible difference. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know about audible difference, you know, but, but probably, but certainly measurable difference. Yeah. You know, um, like if you measure crosstalk from right to left, uh, to me, I don't really care if I can hear it or not. It's like I can improve that and measurements will definitely tell me if I've mm. improved it or not. Ideally, you want zero crosstalk. And then it's just, how much you kind of end up with and can you improve it and certainly moving traces around and how your board's routed and the proximity of one part next to another, things like that can all impact it. Wow. That's so, amazing. And I'm guessing yeah, it's one so, of those things where it all adds up too. So you might not be able to hear that change or that change individually, but the combination of all of them together will no doubt yeah. end up in something audible. Yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely like the, the, you know, I approach design, like I spend a lot of time in simulation, but that that's a very sterile environment, you know, Two traces in your sim- circuit simulator aren't going to cross talk no matter what. Cause, yeah, <laughs> good you point. know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I start there. And then, you know, when I build a prototype or something, like I don't listen to it for quite a while. Most of the things I'm doing at that point are, me- you know, taking measurements, things that are very objective. Like, I, you know, yes, I improve this. I can make things like noise, right? Like noise is pretty much always bad. Anytime you can reduce noise, it's probably good. You know, mm, never mind mm-hmm. if you can hear it or a hiss in the background or whatever, you know, and you can do all those things through measurements. So I, I get everything, you know, ironed out. Crosstalk's another good example of that, you know. Yep. 
I try and iron those things out as much as I can before I really sit down and listen. You know, obviously I, I do that and, and, and do listen, but most of, most of the things by, by that point though, in my mind, the design's already 90 some percent. Ironed yeah. Out. And then it's those final listening tests just to, to make sure it all plays out in the real world. Like it, like it should from a theoretical point of view. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. And we've, you know, I've already found resistor types that I like that I kind of use, you know, thin film, resistors are great. I try not to use coupling capacitors and whatnot, but when I have to for like compensation, like in the op amps, it's like, nope, NP0 capacitor. I don't really sit there and try different types of resistors or things like that and listen. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't really design things that way. It's like, I've, yep. I've already found kind of the best resistors that sound really good and that's what I'm going to use. And any further agonizing over it, I, I just don't feel as necessary. I, I think that's fair enough too, because I think there comes a point where there's different, but is it better? And so yeah, you could you could yeah. you go around and around and around in circles thinking what's the right resistor, but in the end there's no right one. It's just the one that you like. So. Yeah, and you know, I, I say this a lot. You ever seen the movie Joe Dirt? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got some of the best business advice I've ever heard. Comes out of that movie. You remember the guy with the fireworks and he only had snakes and sparklers? I don't Kicking remember Bird, that. The bit. Indian. Huh? Don't remember that bit. Okay. Well, anyway, this, this guy has a firework stand and all he sells is snakes and sparklers, which are super lame fireworks. And Joe's like, where's all the good stuff? And he's like, well, snakes and sparklers are the only ones I like. And Joe Dirt says, well, it ain't about you and what you like. It's the consumer, you know? And so I feel like in a lot of ways, like, yeah, I can, what, what maybe sounds good to me or Mm. what I think maybe doesn't to somebody like it's the consumer. It doesn't matter so much what, you know, I don't claim to have golden ears or anything. So I, don't know, I, I, I think that's like a great piece of business advice. Like it's not necessarily about you and what you like. It's about mm, what the consumers want and what they yeah. like, you know? No, that's a good um, point. But on the other hand though, I think it seems like you've landed on, you've landed on a winner. So you, whatever you've chosen because you've liked it also seems to be what people like. Cause I, I think from the bits and pieces I read, I feel like, and I've got no solid data behind this other than just the number of comments I read it seems to me like your op amps are considered probably the best or one of the best in terms of the, the swappable op amps out there. So you're doing something right. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was terrified, man. I'll never forget the first one I sold. I sold on eBay to some guy in Japan, you know, I was like, Oh, what's he going to think about them? You know, like, he's like, Oh yeah, these are great. You know, but like, I was kind of terrified what the world would think or if it sounds good, but that doesn't Mm. mean that the world will or, you know, so, but yeah, I, I'd agree. It seems like when, you know, we're definitely in that conversation when people start talking about discrete op amps and yep, hundred percent. So I realized that we we kind of went on a side of good sidetrack and one that I wanted to talk to to you about. We kind of got off track on the on the feedback conversation though, because there was one key thing I wanted to ask you, which is that we we're talking about zero feedback versus using feedback, and you were explaining mm-hmm. how the the op amps need that that feedback circuit. Um, from a, from a gain point of view, there's there's been multiple articles, documents I've, re- I've read over time that some will say here's why feedback's good, others will say too much feedback is bad, and that there's a sweet spot somewhere. The I guess I'm curious about is, is it about the amount of feedback used? Is it about the way it's used? Is it just use as much as you can because it's always going to be better? What's what's your view on that? Um, I would think that if 
guys that would make claims like that. It, it just gives a sound characteristic that they maybe like. Like like if it's a tube circuit, right? I mean, tubes have a lot of harmonics that they generate. Mm-hmm. Feedback mm-hmm. will reduce those back down. You know, they may say like 20 dB worth of feedbacks where you want to be. And it's just because they've achieved a sound signature that they like. From an engineering standpoint, you know, like Bruno Putzny's, I don't know if I've mentioned him. He's, he's a guy that, you know, brilliant engineer, designed like the Hypex Purify Class D amps. Like he really brought Class D into hi-fi audio. He's got papers on this. And yeah, he's like as much feedback as you can have. Like a perfect op amp has an infinite gain or an mm-hmm. infinite gain under the hood. And so if, if that's the case, they're always running infinite amount of feedback as well. And so like I advocate like, yeah, as much feedback as you can get. You got to be a little careful with it though, depending on how the rest of your circuit around it. Like I said, having a large amount of feedback that's still stable and not prone to instability. You know, So it's possible, I guess, you can implement feedback in a manner that it's not very stable and that could result in poor sound. And it's not really the feedback that's to blame. It's just kind of how it was implemented. And- yeah, and I wonder, I've, I've potentially incorrectly made the assumption there's been some designs that I've listened to where I feel like the life's been kind of sucked out of the music a bit by whatever's been done in the circuit. And I might have incorrectly made the assumption that it's the way they're doing feedback or the amount of feedback. Um, I mean, a, a common culprit and it's not always the case but a common culprit is often the nested feedback designs like the um uh the thx triple a circuits um topping have got their own nested feedback ar- arrangement as well and i reckon probably 60 to 70 percent of the time it's definitely not all the time but 60 to 70 percent of the time at least i feel like when i hear those amplifiers there's something missing from the music it hasn't got soul life energy to it and that's something like if I think about the Sparco's um, Aries, one of the things that I love about that amplifier is it, it's got this natural delivery to the music. It flows, it's dynamic, it's got energy when it's meant to have energy. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested if, if it's a question of how they're doing feedback or if it's got nothing to do with feedback and it's something else. Is there a situation of feedback as you understand it that would, would result in that lack of life? Or not really? Is it probably something else? You know, yeah, that's a great question. What I can say about nested feedback loops, though, is that that gets super complicated from an engineering standpoint. At least it mm. can. Um, there's a lot more things to consider how it performs overall. If the loops interact or one causes a problem with another sort of thing. I, I haven't really got into a nested feedback loop design so I, I, it's it's hard to say. I mean, it, it could be a lot of things. I'm, I'm I, I'd have to like look at their circuits. Yeah, you know. Yeah, kind of see what they're really doing in there to to really know. I, I suppose it's it's possible. You know, Aries is is kind of same way. It, it you know it's got an input stage op amp volume control output stage. The op amps have their own feedback because they require it. But I didn't, you know, you could then try and take a global feedback around the whole thing. Mm. That, that would be like nesting feedback, okay. you know. Yep. Um, I didn't feel like any of that was necessary. I didn't even entertain that in the design or explore it in the design. Um, but certain circuits, depending on or amplifier architectures, depending on how they're implemented, maybe need that or it makes sense to use a nested feedback design. 
And that's um, interesting that you just mentioned about there's there's the local feedback, but then there's the global feedback, and maybe that's part of what it comes down to. And and probably I won't I won't drag you any further through the topic right now because I don't want to <laughs> you know those that don't want to talk about feedback, I don't want them to get get lost in this. But right, right. maybe that's maybe that's my next area of investigation, and maybe another conversation another day is you know the differences in what it can do to the sound doing global versus local feedback circuits, and maybe it's the maybe it's the zero global feedback designs that I'm finding sound really good rather than those that actually take that loop all the way around. So yeah. maybe, maybe I'll investigate And, and, that and then you have to kind of debate and define what feedback actually is. I mean, some people would argue, and, and there's some amount of truth to it, that just sticking a resistor in the emitter of your transistor is a very tight local negative feedback loop. Okay. You know, Current mm-hmm. flows up, the resistor drops more voltage that pushes back against it. On some level, guys will say it's almost impossible to design any electronic circuit that doesn't have at least some level of feedback, even if it's just a emitter resistor on one of your transistors. Okay, you know? yep. I guess, um, yeah, because you've got to be controlling the circuit somehow, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of circuits kind of have these things that could be loosely interpreted as feedback, but but in my mind, they're not, I wouldn't call that feedback. I mean, it technically is, but when you're talking about feedback, you're, you're thinking about something that's in a, a global loop usually, mm-hmm. or, you know, even within the op amp, it's around the entire op amp. It's just, if you had multiple op amps strung together, if you got around the, you know, the whole string of them or not. Mm. Um, so yeah, but you know, the, the, and this is way off in the weeds engineer, you certainly go way off in the weeds engineering wise on these things. But so it's somewhat important to define what feedback even is or looks like or means. Yeah, you that's, know? that's a really good point. And I, and I think that that's where it gets tricky in the conversations in in comments and forums and stuff like that is you know us as lay people we don't always know some of the intricacies like what you just said there has just opened my eyes to the fact that i'm talking about feedback i don't even know which version of feedback (laughs) i'm talking about a lot of the time because i never even knew it was a thing that's it yeah so that's that's opened my eyes i'll I'll start paying more attention to the types of feedback and how it's being implemented and stuff before i before next time i say i like a zero feedback design because Maybe I don't. Maybe I'd like a zero global yeah, feedback yeah. design. Um, that's really interesting. So thanks, Andrew. And your, your feedback, your no feedback design still have like emitter resistors in their transistors yeah. or cathode resistor on their tube. A little bit more nuance, as, as is always the case when you start to get into the details of these things. There's always more to it, isn't there? Oh, totally, yeah. <clears throat> I had a viewer the other day say that I think he'd heard or read that single-ended amp designs maintain all the harmonic content of the sound whereas balanced designs would cancel out the even order harmonics. Are you aware of that at all? Is there some truth in that? Totally. So, yeah, single-ended versus, did he use differential or what was the one? He he didn't specify that in the comments, I don't think. It was just a conversation around single-ended versus balanced. And my initial thought was there's probably more to it because there's multiple ways to be balanced. And and this, again, we're getting a little bit into semantics and misnomers for things. Rather than balanced, I'll refer to it as a differential Mm. input. Okay. Op amps are inherently all differential input devices. That's part of what characterizes them as an op amp. And and yet when you compare like a differential device to a single-ended device or just amplifier stage, there are some differences. Now, you mentioned the cancellation of harmonics that differential devices have that single-ended do not. And that is true. Then the question becomes, is that advantageous or not? You can look at it like, well, a differential design has less harmonics, less distortion, they're better, you know? 
Or if you want those harmonics, maybe a single ended design is more appropriate. Mm. Another interesting difference between the two is that single ended designs will also have 3 dB less noise than a yes. differential design. Yeah, yep. And, and there are applications for it. You know, several years ago, I looked at doing a phonoamp product, and that phonoamp product, the input stage was a single ended discrete stage. And the main reason was the the less noise that they tend to have. I didn't really care so much about preserving harmonic content. It was just like, I need as low a noise as I can. I mean, phonoamps have massive gain, right? Mm -hmm. So any noise just gets gained up right along with the signal. So you you really want low noise and phonoamps specifically more than any other application. You know, I did a single-ended design there and, but, but, you know, like I said, a, a differential input or what he referred to as a balanced input design, op amps are all inherently differential input, balanced input, however you want to call it. Okay. Um, so th- there isn't really like a way that a guy could make a single ended discrete op amp that could replace differential input op amps. Okay. You know, there's just that, that isn't really a thing, but you yeah. know, it, each topology or architecture has its advantages and disadvantages and Yep. applications it's better suited to one or the other sort of thing. makes sense so, and just yeah, for those that are, for those that are hearing hearing the, the differential term just to make sure i'm understanding it too we're talking about a, a circuit that's that's looking at both positive and negative at the same time rather than just <laughs> <Yeah. single. laughs> if you think of it like that though everything is different well that's right because everything's a everything's a wave kinda, of positive yeah, and negative voltage isn't well it? yeah it's kind of like defined feedback, you know, you know, even, even a single ended design is, is, you know, you can think of it as like having a ground and then the, the signal swings above and below that ground. So that would be um, the single ended. Yeah. That would be single ended. I would say yep. um, differential. You got two signals that swing opposite of they're They're, you know, it's not reference to a, a steady point like ground. It's yep. reference to another signal that's equal and opposite. Yep. Yep. That okay. makes sense. That kind of describes single-ended versus differential signals, but it doesn't maybe necessarily describe a single-ended versus differential amplifier architecture. Like the, the op amps have two input pins, you know, and the op amp only sees the difference between the two pins. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. tie one pin at ground and swing into the other, you know, or something like that. And and really in, in single-ended relative to ground, you can think of as being differential. It's just that the other half of the differential is fixed. It's and fixed, yeah. Move. But I've heard this argument like, well, everything's differential basic. Like voltage only can exist between two points. It's kind of like distance yep. in that regard, right? You got to have two points to define distance. Voltage is the same way. And then it's what are those two points? And does one point stay fixed in the other move or do they both move? And, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the differences there so it's kind of a how long's a piece of string question <laughs> when it comes to this really yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah okay no, that's good to know one of the things you and i were, were chatting about in the emails back and forth when we were planning this was just talking a little bit about the the partnership with shelly labs because that's been i think really huge for a lot of us as as enthusiasts in oh. the hobby being able to get our hands on the a3 pro with your pro op amps being able to get our hands on the j2s with the um the smaller op amps in them and potentially then as we talked about before people adapting the pro op amps into them etc how did that how did that collaboration come about what led to it where did it all begin well um yeah that collaboration has been great you know gino and sherry are awesome people they're the ones who run Jashelli. they're on a husband wife team like we are here 
you know, um, we met them in person last year at the Florida audio show. They're out of Florida. So that's like their local show. I'm sure you heard Gino and I sat up till two in the morning, <laughs> you know, talking about electronics, <laughs> you know, yep. audio, like, um, unfortunately it was in Sherry's room and not mine. So okay, you were lucky you, you got to sleep that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was asleep and Sherry was trying to, I'll bet. Yeah. But here we are on the other side of the door nerding out on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how it came about, like, I didn't really know this. Like, so, it, you know, before it came about, Gisele used to use little surface mount off amps in their designs, you know, and th th those are easy. You can pick and use pick and place assembly for them. You know, if, if you're not trying to change an op amp, sure, surface mount, little op amp would be what you'd pick. And then uh, customers, I guess, their customers were like quietly buying op amps and adapters from us, sending them to Gishelli. And then Gino would be sitting out there in the lab, like installing these things, mm. you know, for people. And I didn't really know this was going on until one day I got an email from Michael Bruce who has a YouTube channel. I think it's called the short bus or something, but he was like, you guys need to get together and figure this out. <laughs> you know, like you need to make something happen and uh, figure out a way that it's easy to get your op amps into Gashelli Dax. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I was like, sure. I was like, G you know, Gino was copied on that email. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And you won't talk about it, you know, and sure. And we set up a call and, we're both like starstruck by each other. I'm like, oh my God, it's just Shelly. You know, and they're like, oh wow, it's Sparko, you know? Um, and Gino was like, yeah, man. He's like, I'll, I'll relay out my boards to, you know, where they don't need adapters and we'll put a socket for the op amps and then they can put your op amp or an, an IC or, you know, guys can play with that if they want, you know? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And he's like, we can use your pros you know, in a headphone amp, which, which the pros have a lot higher output current capability, they can direct drive headphones, you know, originally their headphone amp kind of had a op amp and then like a high current buffer you know, to drive the headphones and supply the current for the headphones. I was like, ah, oh, you don't need that. Like our pro will do all that, you know. So I kind of gave them a recommended circuit for driving headphones that, that I like that it's basically the same that the Aries uses in its output okay. stage, mm. you know, and I think that they call that the Arkle 3 That's it. pro yep. headphone mm -hmm. amp. Gosh, they, I mean, it's, it's been great. They've been, they've been keeping us busy, man. They, they order a lot of op amps. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> As time goes on, it just gets more and more. They're, they're coming. I don't know if, if they've talked about it or they're doing some interesting future projects that will have the ability to op amp roll. We've um, talked, I just chatted to them just recently about the, the new DAC and the headphone amps of so the Zufa and the Daisy we spoke about. Um, okay. I don't Maybe it's think... a new DAC then. Yeah, okay. I don't think he's mentioned anything else. I, he he alluded to the the fact they do a balanced version of the Arkle Three Pro, which would be the Airish Three Pro. Um, mm -hmm. But that's all he's told me about um, at this stage. So yeah, if there's if there's anything else going on, we're not allowed to talk about it yet. I don't think. Yeah, right, um, right. But, okay, uh, yeah. but yeah, definitely the the Daisy DAC and the and the Zufa were the next two that I know are coming. And I can't recall what he said. I think he said that there would be op amp swappability in the daisy like there is in the j2s for instance that's yeah, exciting yeah i'm pretty sure there will be there'll, there'll be like a couple options i think okay fantastic um, and that's right yes because he was talking about the fact that the 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 pro op amp is not a standard eight pin connection your your pro level op amp is it yeah and yeah you know it, it actually it so a little history on the pros like that kind of big one inch square package and it's only got six pins 
four on one side, two on the other. That actually is a standard op amp package uh, for like the studio and recording world. Um, this package was invented probably in the 60s or 70s. It was invented before IC op amps were good. And so all the designs in that package are discrete designs. Um, and in, in that world, they're a standard. And okay. so when I designed the pros, I was actually targeting towards that world, the studio and recording world, you know, and then, but we, we weren't really known in that industry and we're still not really not. And guys were like, oh, I see this new op amp, but they're like, you got to give us an adapter, man. <laughs> like we want to put this in place of a dip eight, you know, in my DAC or whatever. And so, you know, we do have the adapters yep. for them, you know, that adapt their six pin pin out to a, eight pin dip yep. for duels there's there's two of them stacked you know to to form like a dual op amp and so guys, guys are able to use those in those but gosh when they were first invented i wasn't really even considering applications like that mm. it's more like it, it goes back to joe dirt you know it's like you got to <laughs> give people what they want that's it you know yep. and that's what people wanted and i was like well i, I guess i'll invent an adapter for them mm. and um you know, that's that's how all that came to be. Oh, that's good to know. I'd, I'd actually never realized I've looked at your site that many times, but I'd never, I guess I'd never gone hunting specifically for anything to do with the, the 2590 because I'd had the 2590s obviously operating in the Aries and then again in the A3 Pro, but I've never thought about rolling them. I've just enjoyed them where they've been. Yeah. Um, so that that's interesting. I'd never realized there was an adapter. So for others like me out there, there we go. We can actually get the 2590s. We can roll them, adapt them into assuming space is available um adapt them into pretty much anything yeah yeah Brilliant. you know any dip application is, is they're big they're a lot bigger than a chip and they're a lot bigger mm. than our 3602 that's that's when guys start using those wired extenders and <laughs> sitting there flopping around know, there and <laughs> wrapping wrapping them in tape so they don't mm-hmm. short out to other things when yep you know gets a bit scary in uh, there but yeah. hey if it sounds good go for it why not why not yeah and so the, the other thing that obviously I, I want to know, and I'm sure others will as, as well, is there anything new in the pipeline from from you, from Sparco's yourselves? Yeah, but nothing for sure. I mean, you know, I just kind of finished the Gemini a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I've just, you know, most of my time's just, you know, production, building things, testing things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's the two of us. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. not, not going to be yeah, a yeah. Uh, not going to be a production cycle like some of those Chinese brands that there's a new a new version right. every other week. <laughs> yeah, no, we would like to get to the level where we're throwing out new stuff, but yeah, you know, that's takes time. Yeah, yeah, we're actually hiring our nephew who's going to start at the first of the year to oh, cool. help us with production and yeah. stuff, and that'll maybe free up my time to focus more on development. So yeah, I've thought of a few things. Um, one thing with the Aries, uh, I've learned that guys want remote control and they want four pin XLR out and um, on our side, the air, so those are kind of some functional changes that would maybe get made to it from our end too. like the, the assembly and all that's a, it's painful for us. Like I'd never designed an enclosure. I've always been a purely electronic guy. The areas was my first attempt at an enclosure. And so the machine, the program I did it in the machine shop, I did it in like, I'm having to powder coat the thing myself. Oh, wow. You know, they, they give us, they give us like a, a raw piece of aluminum for the base plate with holes drilled in it. We then have to sit around and screw in all the standoffs. Oh, geez. Wow. You know, all that stuff's kind of, it's, it's labor intensive and painful for us. Mm. And like the Jim and I, I'm using a different company to manufacture those cases. And when we get them, they're already powder coated, already silk screened. All the standoffs are already in it. 
you know, we just, we throw our board in, screw it down and put the cover on Perfect. And, and we're done. Yeah. You know, so I thought, oh, maybe I'd redo the case with this new company for the enclosure and add some of the features guys wanted remote, you know, four pin XLR out. Um, that's one possibility, you know, and I've, I've noticed there's things that I think the world needs that we could maybe provide uh, high voltage regulators for tube circuits. A lot of vacuum tube amplifiers, like it's kind of hard to regulate high voltage, you know, and um, as interesting as I think it would be, it would maybe not be the best thing for, it'd be kind of hard for consumers. Everyone, they'd have to figure out how to get it in there and they're playing That's, with high voltage and there's yeah. definitely a shock hazard there, you know. So that may be something that's a good idea, but in practice, maybe not so much. You know, I thought about uh, volume controls is another thing that I think mm. the world needs a good volume control. You yep. know, the stepped attenuator in the Aries, I think, is very good. I've tried, I've thought about maybe productizing that by itself, mm-hmm. although it would be physically large, okay. right? Because it uses uses relays and stuff. I thought to myself, like, well, maybe I could, instead of using relays, I could use analog switches, which is a little chip, you know, kind of like a solid state relay, if mm-hmm. you will, to do the switching. And then it could be much smaller and I could make it like a standard volume control size guys could just swap out the volume control. They, there'd be soldering involved. The other caveat is they'd have to get power into this thing. It wouldn't yeah, be completely okay. passive. And then guys, you know, how do, how do they tap power and what do they tap it from to get power into it? So these things would maybe be really good for advanced level hobbyists. They'd mm-hmm. maybe be good for other manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. You know, but kind of like the average guy that just, it'd probably be hard stuff for them to figure out. Yeah. I don't know if it'd be really good to have mass appeal, you know, like the the hardcore hobbyists. Yes. Other manufacturers. Yes. But beyond that, I'm not so sure if products like that would go very, go over very well or not. Yeah. I was going to say it's a shame that, that with a brand like Bottlehead, obviously uh, coming to an end soon because Dan from Bottlehead's decided to, to retire and, and fair enough too. He's, he's done amazing work out of, out of Bottlehead. Um, right. but yeah, it's a shame with a company like that would have been such a great match for things like the high voltage regulator and also the, the um, volume control, being able to integrate yeah. that into a, a pre-designed DIY circuit so that people knew exactly where to take the power from and, and, um, how to mount it, et cetera. So mm. yeah, I don't know if there's other brands out there that are, that are conducive to that. I know I've, I've done two, three DIY kits now. Um, Ella kits, one of them out of Japan, I'm guessing right. they're not probably the sort that are going to be because everything's kind of quite tightly packed into a into a, a molded chassis like a metal metal chassis, um, yeah. and then the other ones are a little outfit in Australia that I don't think's looking to do big scale stuff either. So yeah, I reckon if there was a DIY manufacturer out there that was looking to kind of upscale their their amplification options and versatility and be able to upgrade and and do things differently that'd be very cool i just i don't know of any at this stage but that'd be awesome yeah you know i i've I've thought about making products like that too like i i think you know our core expertise is just circuits and circuit boards Mm -hmm. right like chassis work metal work like i i could i could if i didn't have to deal with that stuff that would be fine with me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i thought maybe i should do little boards like here's your RCA input board or your XLR input board. Here's a little gain stage board. Here's a volume control board. You know, kind of have the uh, block approach, and then you know, hobbyists and stuff could wire those up in some in whatever fashion to suit whatever needs they mm. had. You know, and so they're just they're just getting a board and just 
wiring it up. They're not having to build the board from scratch necessarily, or even really solder, you know, and then if they're trying to put it into a case or some sort, like, you know, they'd have to come up with that on their own. But, but a lot of guys that's within their capability, you know, they can, you can drill holes and put standoffs and, and I was going to say there's plenty of, plenty of pre-made cases. You can go to your local electronics store and buy all sorts of sized plastic or metal cases. So that's, that's yeah. an option. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought, I've, I've thought about doing products like that too, you know, that would just cater to the DIY crowd and things like that. So, mm. you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to do products or, or that, that I think will be fun, yep. you know, for me as a designer and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, when I think of something, Lachlan will be one of the first to know. Yeah, and, and if <laughs> anyone I'll flick an email for sure. Yeah, and I kind of look around or kind of look at feasibility of some of these things. And sometimes it's like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll abandon this. And other times it's like, yeah, I want to take this through. And, you know, right now there, there's nothing that I've definitely said, like, this is what I'm going to do next. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Just still still so, bubbling away in the brain and seeing what, yeah, seeing what bubbles yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in a few months or something, we'll maybe have something nailed down a little more firm of what we're going to do next. But yep. as of right now, there's nothing with certainty I can plan. Cool. And and for those that don't know, um, there is, you can sign up to the newsletter for Sparkos on your website. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. is a, an option there. So anyone that wants to keep in, in the loop, um, I remember seeing way back the first prototype when you shared a photo of the prototype of the Gemini way, way back now. Um, oh, and it was yeah, fun absolutely. because there was that anticipation of, oh, when, when's this going to come out and what's it going to sound like? And yeah, I'm sorry so. it took so long. No, it's, yeah, it's we had it for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, we, we shelved it for about a year. We were like moving and stuff and had okay. other things going on. I didn't have the time to put into the development on it. And then, yeah, earlier this year, I was like, okay, I, I, I need to pick that up and finish it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, our, our newsletter is a great way to stay on top of those things. I, I try not to be spammy about it. I think I only do one maybe every other month. Yeah, it's not not know? at all spammy. So, yeah, I mean, some guy, some websites you sign up from a, for a newsletter and you'll get three emails a week or something. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, you yep. know. But, um, yeah, that's a good way to stay abreast of that. That's Perfect. probably the best way, actually. Cool. So, yeah, if anyone wants to, I'll put a link, obviously, in the description on YouTube, and I'll try and put it in the podcast if there's a way for people to actually see it and access it and click on it. But otherwise, it's, it's just sparkoslabs.com, I think, your website, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, just sparkoslabs.com. Um, people can can jump in there and see the products and obviously sign up for the newsletter. Is there anything else, Andrew and Alyssa, that you guys wanted to share, talk about anything while we're here? Um, Not necessarily. I think I think you covered most everything, you know, cool. you sent me the kind of list of questions and I was like, yeah, this seems like a pretty complete list and not really anything outside of that, that, I mean, I love to go way off in the engineering weeds, mm. you know, um, if there was anything like that, but I, you know, a lot of guys like, you know, eyes glaze over yeah, you know, or they don't care. <laughs> Let's, but, wh- why yeah. don't we, uh, why don't we plan to do another one? Cause I, I deliberately, deliberately didn't dive deeper into some of them because there's somewhere my own personal interest I'd love to go well, what about this and why this and how this but I right. thought I won't, I won't do that today because a I didn't want to blow out the time and b th- there's some people are going to have an appetite for that some people aren't so why don't we say right. that maybe in the new year you and I'll catch up when I say you and I us all of us together yeah. can catch up yeah. and um and and go a bit deeper and and get into that more technical topic so that those that want that can dive into a, an episode, whether it's a, a video or a, a podcast, knowing that that's what's coming. And those that don't want that 
don't don't have to listen to us. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'd I'd be happy to talk about anything like that that, cool. that you wanted to. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be brilliant. All right, excellent. Well, we might wrap up there for now, and uh, and we'll look forward to a, a full on geek out nerd fest technical yeah. episode in, in the in the future. That sounds really good. Maybe maybe that, maybe do that'll one. That'll be with, great for him. Yeah, do one with <laughs> he's only got me to talk to. You know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Get maybe get Gino in on it too. You that'd know? be great. Let's do that. Yeah, he, he yeah. and I talked about you know some further collaborations with with some stuff that I don't know if they'll ever happen. This was like our just what we talked about at two in the morning at the show. But okay. um, yeah, he, I, I think he'd, he'd be happy to go into those weeds too. I mean, he's awesome. All guy. right, let's let's plan yeah, for that in uh, in twenty twenty four. Well, thank you so much, Andrew and Alyssa and and Lutz, who's probably off doing something. Oh, yeah, right did, did we get Lutz on camera yet? We did get Lutz in the beginning. He he got to say hello. So well, I thought that was before we hit play, though. No, we no, we got him back for the we got him back for the, oh, okay, for the hello okay. as well. So <laughs> we've all I met. Mean, I, I know there's people that want to see that. You know, That's like, it. And now we've proved to the world that he is real. So oh, so the, yes. the world knows. Yeah, he's asleep on the floor right here. Half his luck. Being good for a change. Uh, Half his luck. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both. Have a great evening. And thanks for, for putting the time aside to, to share the knowledge and the insights about your products and the hobby in general. It was really, really valuable. And I, I appreciate it. And I'm sure the viewers will as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lachlan. Thank you. I really appreciate the time we spent here and having us on. This is pleasure. Great. It was wonderful. All right. Brilliant. Thanks both. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. All right Have thanks. a good one. Take it easy. Yeah. Bye.